I'm Laura Gentry Williams, and you're listening to Adopting It Forward. Adopting It Forward allows people to share their adoption stories in order to encourage you wherever you are in your adoption marathon, from bystander to runner in training to participant. Enjoy today's story. Hey everyone, welcome back to Adopting It Forward. In today's episode, I finally get to connect with my good friends Renee and Ken. Those of you who've adopted out there, especially internationally, you know how alone you can feel. And then a stranger walks in and you automatically connect with them. Um, A little desperately in my case. (laughs) That's how it was for this couple I met during my stay with the kids in Uganda. We met at the health center (laughs) when the kids were getting some tests. So we also tell about our very memorable Ugandan safari that we went on together. And they share about life with three bio boys and their daughter, Hope, from Uganda. I know you guys are going to love hearing from this godly couple. So please enjoy my conversation with Renee and Ken. All right. Well, welcome, Renee and Ken. I'm so glad you guys are here. Yeah, we're, we're excited to be talking with you. Thanks for squeezing me in. Oh my goodness, we've been trying to do this for ages, huh? Yeah, that's that's on us. Here's what I always love. When I ask somebody to do the interview and they're like, we can't do it this week, maybe next week. And then they keep saying that because they're like, oh yeah, I forgot. I'm perfectly great with that. I'm like an Enneagram 7 that to me, the last minute is the best minute, right? <laughs> I mean, you're just like, it's fine. I don't mind. <laughs> so when I you love say, it. Yeah. I don't know even when you messaged me, but yesterday when I saw your message and then you're like, I can do it. We could, oh, we can do it tomorrow. I was like, perfect. I had a cancellation. That was great. No, well, we haven't been in the same room very much in the last couple of weeks. And so he would say to me, maybe on the phone, Hey, we got to talk about, and I'd be like, Hey, we got to talk about. And then yesterday we were actually in the same room for a little bit. He's like, Hey, and I was like, yes. So I'm glad it worked out. <laughs> I know, me too. This is so great. Well, and you guys, we're friends and we have not seen each other in a really long time, even like this, which is super fun. We're on Zoom. But you guys, I live in Texas and you guys tell about where you live and what you guys do. Yeah, so we live in Tennessee, in West Tennessee. Even as you were saying that, I was like, we we are friends, um, but we've never been together on this continent. Uh, no, it's um, true. <laughs> which, which is... We uh, had lots of big plans when we met. That's right. Like, oh, yeah, we're going to bring the kids to Tennessee. <laughs> no, we haven't done but that. We, uh, yeah, so we live in, in Jackson, Tennessee. We've lived here for about 11 years now. And uh, Renee and I have been married for 18 years. We have four children. And we have three boys. Our oldest, Jonathan, will be 16 in a month. Gabe just turned 12 in April. Gideon turned 10. And so we have three, three uh, biological boys. And then our daughter, Hope, turned 11 in September. What? Uh, so, yeah, so that's uh, absolutely crazy. Uh, <laughs> our family is getting bigger and mm. uh, oldest is taller than all of us now. And oh. it's just a, a weird but fun parenting I really, place to yeah, be I love the teenage years. I really love them. They're completely 
crazy and stressful, but they're the best. I love it. <laughs> it's just weird when they're taller than you and you're trying to be like, yeah, I know you're huge, but seriously, cut it out. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. And he still wants us to hug him and all of this. Oh, oh yeah. He's a sweet kid. Um, yeah. We, yeah so we've got, got great kids. So yeah. So we, we, we both work at a, a college in town. Union University. I've worked there since we moved to Jackson um, and work in student life. So I'm uh, the Dean of Student Life and Director for Residence Life. So oversee all the housing, work with campus recreation and safety and security, and uh, do some academic support. What else? Student discipline, global pandemics, (laughs) and uh, other duties as assigned. Oh my goodness. That's a long list. (laughs) (laughs) Other duties as a sign. We all love those. (laughs) That's right. That's right. Yeah. We've been, like you said, in Jackson since 2009. And so I have been a nurse for 18 years. The whole time we've been married, my clinical background is in the neonatal ICU. So when the kids were younger, I primarily worked a a few days a week, maybe just as a registry nurse at the local hospital. I went back to school for my master's a few years ago. And so now I am full-time nursing faculty at Union, the same place where Penn works. I mean, when you picture somebody working in the same place, oh, let's meet for lunch in the, whatever you call your students, cafeteria or whatever, you just like hang out. You would think, but I think we've written to get to work together maybe one time this semester. I think so. And that was only because we had a car in the shop. Yeah. Um, your car broke down. That was your only option. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. We, we probably will have lunch together. Maybe like a couple, every couple Yeah, weeks. a couple times a month. Yeah. Um, sometimes I'm not on campus or sometimes I'm, you know, at the hospital with students or, mm-hmm. and then he's got other meetings and. Yes, um, yeah. but yes, you'd think that we would ride to work together every day. Mm, it just sounds. But like no, it just never. Couple. It just never happens that way. So, <laughs> my husband and I like. Yeah, we ride in separate cars most places because you know one of us might like to stay and chat, one of us might not. So you just never know. <laughs> yep, that's really cool. You're working at the same place though. That's nice. So you have three boys, bio boys. Do you guys remember anything about your first conversation about adoption? as a couple? So I don't remember our first conversation. I know that it had been a conversation that, you know, maybe we'd like to adopt someday, but I always go back to the moment for me where it was kind of very clear that the Lord had put this desire on both of our hearts was after the earthquake hit Haiti back, and I don't even remember the year, it was 2010, uh, whenever the the big earthquake um, hit Haiti. And as we were watching the news coverage of that. And it was the first time I think that very clearly in my mind, I felt there are children who need families and who need parents and we have a family Mm. and just kind of had that burden and desire. And then along with that, somebody that Renee had grown up with was actually in process to adopt from Haiti at that time. Yeah. So they had been matched with their child already, but because of the process in Haiti. I think that they had even maybe met him one time. I can't exactly remember, but I mean, it was going to be well over a year before he was actually going to be able to come home. Mm. And so, but because of everything that happened that January with the earthquake and just like the whole country's infrastructure, just kind of crumbling and lots of things being in limbo and so many more children entering care, 
because they had already been matched with him, he was one of 80 children that kind of the government, the U.S. government and the Haitian government worked together to basically get to their families much quicker than they ever would have been because of the circumstances. Yes, I think I remember you telling me this story because I knew some of the things going on in Haiti, but wow. So Mm -hmm. he came home sooner than was expected. Yeah, so as we were watching this coverage in Haiti with it was like a Nightline show or something, which we, I do not know that we have ever watched a Nightline show really before that or since then. So it was just totally this one of those things that like the Lord clearly, like, I feel like just, we don't watch that show. So we were watching this show and I remember looking at each other and saying like, we can do that. We could do that. We can adopt a child, but then their family flew down to Florida and met up with a bunch of other families who'd already been matched with their children. And these 80 children came on a plane into Miami and they were united with their children in the airport and it made national news. And Mm -hmm. we, you know, kind of watched their story then, then play out. So they were one of the families that was on that. Wow. Yeah. Awesome. And so then you watched this child come home and were you, did you live nearby to where you could be around them or? No, we didn't. They live in Northern Indiana. Our families were friends growing up. Her parents and my parents still go to church together to this day. So we were all kind of grown and she was married, but they were at our wedding. We were at their wedding kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, And they had other children as well. So we just kind of watched through the news and through Facebook. We also, our church here in Jackson, our pastor and his wife were in process to adopt at that time in Russia, something that of course, we were talking about and hearing a lot about at our church as well. So what led you to Uganda then? Because you had this uh, Russian experience, you had the Haitian example, why Uganda? You know, after it was kind of clear to us that we, we both felt like the Lord was calling our family to adopt, kind of the first thing that we did was look for an agency to, to get information and all of that. And my pastor's wife growing up had worked for an agency. That agency was based in the city that Renee grew up in. We kind of did some research and really felt comfortable working with them. And uh, at that point it was, okay, so where, where are their partnerships at? Honestly, at that point, they did not have a partnership in Uganda. But as we kind of looked at the different partnerships that they had, The one that we felt most drawn to was Ethiopia. And uh, so again, this was back in 2010. um, And so we kind of entered that Ethiopian program and then worked with the agency to do home study and all the paperwork and all of the dossier stuff. And our dossier was over in Ethiopia. As we were about ready to wrap up our final stuff for the dossier is when Bethany Christian Services, our agency, when they had started a pilot program in Uganda and they were looking for maybe 10, 10 families to to join that. And at that point, you know, we had done all this work and we're like, ah, let's just stick with um, Ethiopia. And then I think it was right around that time where the Ethiopian government had kind of become aware of maybe some trafficking issues, things that were happening there that were, they needed to really get a handle on. And so at that point, the Ethiopian program vastly slowed down This is exact, sorry to interrupt, but on episode number 14, my friends Jeff and Terry Keck, this is basically along the lines of what happened with them. They were in the Ethiopian, you know, track, they were (laughs) on that track, and then it was closed for them, basically around the same time, I would assume. 
Yeah. Sorry. So um, it was at that point then that Bethany reached out to people in the Ethiopia program and just said, hey, we're expanding our pilot program in, in Uganda um, and we're taking was it 25 or 50 more families or something. Mm. Yeah. And so we asked some more questions about it and then decided to switch over. And because too, we were open to an older child at that time. Mm-hmm. I think we had been, we said we were open to a child up through the age of five or something like that. Mm-hmm. And so they how knew was, that they had that. Sorry. Gideon, how old was he when you started this whole process? Yeah, that's a good question. That's Cause we, we, we skipped over that part. So, um, Right yeah. as we were wrapping up our home study? No. We had paid our initial deposit. So the earthquake in Haiti happened in January. We reached out to Bethany. We met with the social worker, came to our house, told us about all the other options, all the options in different countries. And we were like, okay, Ethiopia sounds like about the best fit for us. We put in our initial application and paid our initial deposit. And she had mentioned to me, you know, hey, if you are, just so you know, Bethany really likes there to be at least a year between subsequent children entering the home either by birth or adoption and so we were like great that made sense to us and that's when I found out I was pregnant with Gideon okay (laughs) and so um Gideon was born November of 2010 and so we had to call our social worker and I had to say actually I'm just found out I'm pregnant with with our son Gideon and so I said but this is something we are really committed to and she said thank you you know so much let's plan to be in touch after he's like about six months old. And so that's what we did. Right. So so, that's right. Yeah. So then I reached out to her at that point and then she said, well, it sounds like things are going well. Why don't we start the process back up at that point? And so then that's when we were still in the Ethiopia program. We were Mm -hmm. still doing all that paperwork, all of that. And then. Yeah. Mm. So then you started on the Uganda. Well, I remember because it sounded like to me, from all the people that I met in Uganda that were in process and going through all the things, your adoption agency impressed me the most. The things that you guys would tell me, I was like, wow, gosh, this is really covered with them. So I really shout out to them. It seemed like to me because maybe I was, I don't know, but Renee, you kept, you would say, oh no, our agency does this. Or I was like, wow, because we were doing it privately, but so many other people were not. They were doing through agencies and there was a lot of under the table things weird going on. So yeah, we really loved working with Bethany. And even since then, through the follow up process, it's been not only yeah. with post placement visits, mm-hmm. but even as we do like our annual report, like we're still in contact through Facebook with, you know, some of the social workers at the lawyer's office that we use there. And she'll say to us, hey, we have your report, you know, so we know that our report is making its way over to Uganda. Mm-hmm. Uh, to that, and so we we've just um, have nothing but good things to say. Oh, um, one of the one of the things that we loved that they did, and at the time that we did it, it was optional, and then they made it mandatory. But they do a what they call a third party investigation, and so and what they do is they hire a media company to basically go and do follow up interviews with kind of anybody who was involved in the process until the child was matched with a family. So if they're is birth family involved, they're interviewed. If there's abandonment, the people who found the child 
the lawyers, the orphanage, and they do these third-party interviews for two reasons. One, it's just another way to confirm that the story that they were initially given is the same story that they're getting now. That's awesome. And then the other thing is we have a DVD video of these interviews. And because there was some birth family still involved, we have directions to the family's ancestral home. So should we ever be able to make a trip back to Uganda, we could try to find family. And so to be able, and then videos of, of hope before we were able to meet her, um, you know, when she was in the orphanage and things like that. And so we were uh, so appreciative. And I know even our judge in the case um, in Uganda was appreciative because then when he was interviewing all of the witnesses, mm-hmm. you know, that's now three times that the same story has been given, which you're much more likely to believe is true. We really, um, really appreciated that. Mm. No, that's great. And all those kind of things don't necessarily happen. So I think people need to hear a correct way to do things because I feel like, you know, there are still adoptions that are happening in Uganda. It's harder, takes longer and all these kind of things. But to hear how a proper way to do things is, is really good to hear from that agency. I love that. You guys, finally, you went through this program and there were, I guess all those families that were going through that program, were they throughout the country or were they kind of in your area, these other families? So we kind of got to know some of those initial families because obviously, you know, if you're in a program that has 20 or less families in them, we kind of got connected with those people and our agency put us in touch with each other. And so people that had traveled before us, obviously we had communicated with before we got there they were instrumental in giving us tips and different things about, you know, where we were going to be staying and what was court going to be like. And here's the driver that we've used. And so some of them were from Wisconsin, Indiana. There's actually a really sweet story about a family from Nashville that actually met Hope shortly after, very shortly after she came into care. And so we live two hours from Nashville. And so after Hope had been home, for like, we never met them when we were in country. We kind of knew another family that they had been in country with. And so this um, adoptive father, their child that they adopted wasn't even at the same orphanage that Hope was at, but they were kind of making a visit. Right. So their, their child was in foster care. Mm -hmm. And, but they, at the guest house that they were staying at, there was another family there who another Bethany family who was adopting from this orphanage. And so they were going up there to, to bring a few things and some thank yous for the staff and stuff like that. And asked if they wanted, if, you know, our friends wanted to come along on this visit. And so they did. And, you know, the way he tells it is that it was kind of the first time that he realized that adoption and the orphan crisis was much bigger than his son and his family. Um, And so they're at this orphanage and there was this one girl, you know, that they had said had just come into care at the orphanage and she just would not stop clinging to him. And so they would play patty cake and they would play these games. And then another kid would want to come over and play with him. And this girl would just like start crying these huge alligator tears and, and, you know, was all upset. And so he actually, he wrote a blog about this and put a picture of the girl's hands as they were playing patty cake and, and was just talking about how it impacted him. And so then, I don't know, a year later, this family that we had connected with from Wisconsin 
had been in country with them. And then they reached out to us and, you know, we had connected with them and a, a few other families that were kind of going all going through the same thing at the same time that we'd been in touch with. But they were in country with this family from Nashville and said, hey, basically said, hey, here's this family, here's their story. But we really think that this girl that he blogged about <laughs> is your daughter. And so they sent us the link and sent us contact information and we reached out to them and he's good friends with some musicians that we love in Nashville and basically connected. And, you know, Renee sent him a message, I think along with a picture mm -hmm. and said, Hey, is this who you talked about? And so he wrote back and he's like, I'm crying. Uh, I cannot believe that this girl <laughs> that I connected with on the other side of the world lives two hours down the highway from me Aww. and all that. So we went up and we visited them and met them and spent some time together and they've remained close friends. And then Aww. we've even tried to with, and it's been, I guess, a couple of years now, but there's, you know, there's probably five or six families that we were all there around the same time. Our kids were all at the orphanage at the same time that we've reunited with three or four times now. That's um, throughout the years and to hopefully allow you know these kids that you know they only get to see each other every couple of years but they all have kind of experienced a lot of the same things yeah they know where they came from and mm -hmm. the good connection oh that's so sweet she was oh my gosh so cute i'm sure <laughs> anyone was drawn to that little booger when they met her that's right. so <laughs> cute. oh my gosh she's so cute so how did you actually get matched with her did they choose her for you or were you looking at different kids and how did that match happen? Yeah. So Bethany, your home study of course had to be approved for like a certain age or something. So I think we were approved through age five or something like that. Maybe we knew that we knew that we wanted to keep Jonathan, our oldest biological son, the oldest, but as far as what happened after that, we were okay with having kids you know, interrupt some birth order. And so these are all questions that they were very intentional about asking us about and talking through with us and saying, here's some things that you probably need to think about for your family. Here's what we've seen, which we appreciated. So I think at that time, Jonathan, our oldest son was finishing up second grade. And so I think, yeah, we said up through, you know, age five. Well, then we had to fill out kind of some other paperwork and ask about how comfortable we were with various medical needs, which was probably the, one of the That's, hardest yeah. pieces of paper we ever had to do. Because, you know, when you have a biological child, you don't get to pick, you know, the right. Lord gives us um, what we need. And so to write on an actual piece of paper, like we feel equipped to be able to right. handle, handle these this, things, but not this, but not you know, things, just, it just was really hard for us. Yeah. And we agonized over that. And so once we kind of got those, then we were matched. I think our dossier and everything was completed in August of 2012. And then we were matched with her on Valentine's Day of 2013. Okay. So yeah, there was a few families ahead of us. I think too, we had said that we would love to have a girl mm -hmm. since we had three boys. And so the wait was a little bit longer for girls. And so yeah, we were matched in February of 2013. We traveled the first time the beginning of April for yeah, court and then, big. yeah, and then traveled yeah. again for our embassy date the first part of June. You didn't actually meet her in any way <laughs> until it wasn't, was it your court date when you met her or was it, did you go before your court date? We went before the court date. So the, the guest house that we stayed in was about a mile away from 
the orphanage. Mm-hmm. And and so it was outside Kampala. And we got in, of course, you know, at like midnight or something. And then the next day went to the orphanage and met mm-hmm. her, spent a little bit of time there. And then really every day after that, we could walk to the orphanage, pick her up, bring her back to the guest suite, spend the day with her. Yeah. And so we we were with her every day and our, our court date was about a weekend or so. Yeah, they wanted us there for like a week before court just to kind of, you know, meet her, spend time with her, all of those kinds of things. We had to go to the attorney's office to kind of get prepped on how court was going to be. And so that's what we did that first week. Okay. And then we had court and then we stayed for maybe a few days after that again. Right. We were supposed to stay for about another week because she needed to have her um, Mm -hmm. IOM doctor appointment. And then How we met. That's I know. Right. If we would have done that then, we wouldn't have met you. So <laughs> you but, went to the health center. <laughs> that's right. So so we were trying to get an appointment for that, and they basically said all of the doctors went on vacation this week, and so nobody can help you. And so at that point, you know, our thought was, well, you know, we have we have three boys at home. Renee's parents are staying with them. Okay, if we're going to have to be here longer. Our second trip. Why don't we? try and change our flight. So we actually came back a little bit earlier than we were planning on after our first trip. And so then came home, we're home for about a month or so, and then flew back. It was the end of May. The only way I can ever remember that is because I know it was right around Memorial Day and the U.S. Embassy is closed on Memorial Day. And it was also right around the time of a Ugandan holiday and the U.S. Embassy is closed on that holiday as well. And and so it was at the you know the U.S. Embassy. <laughs> Laura, we met you at the IOM health at the health center at we IOM. We were at the health center. Mm-hmm. Um, so we were we were there to, so she could get why, her PD test. Why did we? Yeah, we started talking to each other. Why? I don't. I mean, I guess just because we're like, oh hey, you're in the same boat. You're a doctor. You. Your oldest daughter was there at the time. Oh, that's right. Chelsea was there. Yeah. Chelsea was there with you. But then the next time we ran into you, she had gone home. So like Stan had already gone home too. Yes. Yeah, I think we didn't even meet him. We were at IOM and I think we're just sitting across from you and it's like, oh, hey, look, there's a white American with with two Ugandan children with them. It was kind of like, so hey, what's your story? (laughs) Because we did that in Uganda. We're like, oh, hi. Are you okay? I'm not yeah. okay. That's what. I, <laughs> but That's right. well, I think too. Like Hope was. This is how I remember. I could be wrong. That she was just kind of. She saw our kids too, and was like, was just talking her little Luganda. And our kids were like, oh, isn't she cute? And they're talking Luganda to her. And you guys were like, oh, that's nice. What did she say? <laughs> <laughs> like, what's she telling you about? That's the most words does we've she, heard in a week. Does she like us? Like, what's going on? <laughs> so, yeah. So we, so we met IOM. And then, you know, there's all these, like, logistical steps that have to happen in order for this. So, you know, you think, all right, a judge has decreed we're legal guardians. Great let's move on. But there's just all these different steps. And so one of the steps that took a while for us was that we needed to get her passport. So what had happened at the passport offices, they lost Hope's passport, but they could have probably found it quickly 
uh-huh. for a certain fee. And then again, wow, this was this was one of those situations where our agency was like, nope, we're not doing that. Just submit an application for another passport and do it that way. So that's what we had to do. But then because of all of this holiday closure at the embassy, because it was like, you could only make an appointment to get mm-hmm. your visa on Monday and Wednesday, but you could only pick up the visa on Wednesday and Friday. And yes. of course, Memorial Day is a Monday. So that was closed. And <laughs> so we, there was only like real specific timeline that we could do for us to kind of not have to delay the end of our trip. Mm. And so what had happened, you had three littles at your house, right? Oh, your, your youngest, was he three? Two and a half, two and a half. half. Cause they're like about 14 months apart. Yeah. So you had parents with the three. Yes. Grandparents with three other children at home and take them to little league and school and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So, so we, we ended up splitting up one day where I was at the passport office. Our driver, who we loved, who drove us most of the time, took Renee and Hope, after we had waited there for a long time, took Renee and Hope to the embassy, came back, got me. I finally got the passport. He rushed me over to the embassy. Renee came out, and I like handed it to her, I think, through the gate, because it was <laughs> going to take too long to do the whole process of going in. I handed her the passport. She went in and was able to get an appointment and then so I'm waiting outside and then she comes out with you and James and Betty and you know we had I was a mess (laughs) well we were all a mess mess (laughs) we were all a mess but um we had we had decided at that point that we had wanted to go on a safari no um, yeah go back because Renee walked into the embassy I will never forget that day as long as I live Renee walks in and we just fell into each other's arms. Do you remember this? <laughs> yeah, and we're like, oh, it was just, I mean, <laughs> we got a passport. <laughs> we're just like, but I couldn't get the visa. And we're just crying. Yeah. I visa. mean, those chairs, I remember what that place smelled like. Six, what it six hours. Like. I'd been there six hours at that point with no Yes, food. you just sat in those chairs. Like, you just would sit in the chairs. I remember exactly what IOM looked like. Oh, no. All of those vivid, vivid <laughs> memories. And yes, we we finally got the passport. It was like the golden ticket, it felt like. Yeah, but I didn't, right. yeah, you had your passport and I was getting, remember, I was picking it up the next morning. Mm-hmm. I couldn't get it that day. I had to pick it up mm-hmm. the next morning, so... Now, and that was that was when it was going to be closed for a few days because of the holidays. And so we're like, well, you know, let's go on a safari. And then Renee came out and said, hey, Laura, James and Betty are here. How about they come on a safari too or something like that? like crying and I was like, I couldn't get my passport today. I can't get it till the morning. And, and, and so, and then I texted Stan. I think you Stan. called Stan. Like, I think yeah. I remember you calling Stan. Uh-huh. Like, it was the middle of the, it was like three o'clock in the morning yeah. for him. Like, I was like, I can't get the passport. <laughs> How do you feel about us going on a safari? We, I met these people. They seem safe. I think I think it'll be I think it'll be okay. Cause I think you were like, I'll call you back. Know, <laughs> we're on so our little like, pay by the minute phones that uh, we had. Yeah. And it was <laughs> like I was, I was talking to Stan and Stan was like, go on the safari. It's fine. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Ken goes, yeah, no, Ken, you had met somebody that was, he was Jude. Like, oh yeah, I do safaris. I mean, yes, yes. Well, it, 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 well, it was the, <laughs> it the was guest house the that guest we house stayed that at, we at the first trip and some of the second trip. 
the person who owned the guest house also owned a safari the company safaris. and so yes. um and so we talked with the staff at this guest house and they're like oh yeah we can hook you up with that and, and the other bethany families had used yeah him. Had used oh him yeah that's good so. people did have some references mm-hmm. and i had mm-hmm. nothing so i was like uh sure like awesome you guys were like and your kids can talk to hope this will be great. They can have, you know, and our kids had already were like in love with her. So it was great, but it was so funny. Cause Sam was like, do you know? And I said, yes, we met at the health center. They're great. It'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> so there we went vacationing in Uganda oh, together. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> and it was like, you know, when you think of just like, oh, we're going to go on a safari, maybe what, how far would you think? Maybe three or four hours or something? No. It was how many hours in a bumpy van? It, it was, was like, like six or yeah, something? Yeah, six or eight six hours. Or eight, something like, like that. <laughs> it was a, I mean, that whole, that whole thing was just, I, I will never forget too. There's certain times, of course, like in your trip when you're in country and you spent significant more time in country than we did, but there's certain things that are just like burned in your mind. And like one of the images in my mind is we are driving in this van. So it's you and James and Betty and us and Hope. It's not like there's a group. No, it's not a group. We are the group. We're the group. We are the group (laughs) with Jude. Remember Jude, our safari man driver. Nicest guy. (laughs) The nicest guy. Speaks five languages. Remember Swahili, Lugandan, That's all these right. other tribal dialects. English. He lectured, oh, he lectured James the entire trip, which is great. He, I mean, <laughs> you know, he gave him all kinds of instructions before he was going to head to America. <laughs> yes, I mean, I just, so we're driving along in this van, and I'm looking out like over the countryside, and I'm seeing the most beautiful scenery. This red Ugandan soil. I'm seeing these huts, and I'm seeing these these beautiful school children walking back and forth to school. And I'm thinking, is this real life? Is this, this is the most beautiful thing I've seen. And we would, we pulled into a couple like smaller towns or like villages. That Remember and everybody come to the van and well, like, we called we it the, the Ugandan drive-thru. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> the Ugandan drive-thru. You just, yeah. yes. we weren't even stopping. We were slowing down. We were not stopping and skewer, you know, meat skewers are coming in the windows. Yes. Oh. <laughs> oh, we'll take some of those. Yeah. Give me some, give me a Coke too. <laughs> Yes, and Ken is still disappointed that I didn't let him eat that meat skewer, but I was too worried about his health. But But my kids were chowing down on those meat skewers. They still, they want one right now. If I ask them, like, what was your favorite? At the meat skewers that were in the garden. <laughs> I know. And we were just talking to Hope about it. And I was like, trust me, Hope, we let you eat one. You love the meat. Oh, yeah. But we only drank our sodas. So we were yeah. applying all kinds of stuff. Give me a bag of that cheese, too. Yeah, that's good. So we'll see it. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So funny. So then we've been driving all day. We're beyond exhausted. My stomach feels a little weird. And, you know, because what were we eating? Cheez Its. Chelsea, Jesus, that's what, that was our breakfast, lunch, and dinner that day, because we were in there for eight hours, because we were afraid to eat the meat skewers, and then (laughs) we get get to the the lodge, oh my gosh, the lodge was the funniest, we pull up, and it's already getting dark, Mm -hmm. it was, yeah, and these people come to meet us, and they're so sweet, they're very excited, because we thought, oh, we're going to this lodge with all these other people, no. (laughs) 
There's there's nobody there's there. There's not a single person there. <laughs> My, there's that huge table, and it's set for six. And we're like looking around, going, "Is anybody else here?" Dining hall. It was a huge dining hall. And the guy that came out to meet us said, "Dinner will be served promptly at like six or whatever." He said, and we're like, "Okay, so you can you may clean up." and come back at six. We're like, okay. So we go to our lodge. We couldn't think of anything else to do. We cleaned up, we washed our hands, put our suitcase in there. We're all starving beyond anything. So maybe dinner was at seven. I don't remember. So we go back at like five till and he comes out and he goes, dinner will be served at promptly at whatever, seven, come back. And we're like, five minutes from now. There were bats. Oh, do you remember the bats? Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> there was bats down <laughs> and still nobody else in that big giant room. Just us. Just us. And we had, the, I mean, it was really good food. They all, I mean, they were very mm -hmm. excited to get to service. But I don't know why no one else was there. But <laughs> yes, it was very, it was, I think it was food, brand new. I remember the food, yeah, being great. Yeah. But, but remember, oh, the next night, do you remember the elephants? Our kids talk about that all the time, that the elephants in the dark, they were just standing there right by, I mean, <laughs> you know, you can't make this stuff up. They were like uh -huh. in the dark and you look over and you're like, oh, there's, oh, there's an elephant <laughs> just hanging out. Yeah, I remember and we, that. And I remember yeah. there was like, there was like a ruined castle or something yeah. close by that was like one of Idi Amin's like country uh, houses or something. And they're like... <laughs> That's where the jaguar lives. You don't want to go exploring over there. And we're like, no okay. Like, do we just need to like sprint from building to building? There's elephants, there's jaguars. What else is going to get us? You can see that. It was a jaguar. Right in, I mean, we couldn't see him, but we could see the little fortress thing. It was right in. Yeah. Oh my gosh. It was so cool. And the it safari really cool. ride was super fun. It was what an adventure. But our kids were like, oh my gosh, it was so funny. But when we first got there, we were standing in that little area and they, they were talking to us real normally. They brought us juice and everything. They're being so sweet. And I was like, what was that? Do you remember? And there was a bat that literally swooped right. And I looked up and they're all swooping right by our heads. They're swooping. <laughs> yes. We were in, oh yeah, in the jungle. It was awesome. It, it was, there was nobody out there. They no. were building the pool, remember? They were building a pool because we asked, I think, about that because, um, you it know. It was so hot. It was so hot. Remember? That's what Ken remembers. That's all he, I remember is that there was there was no air movement and the rooms themselves were so hot that I would, before going to bed, I took a shower. A cold shower. A yeah. cold shower. I did not tell myself off. And then I slept on the concrete <laughs> because so it was the only way that I could try to get cool to sleep yeah, it was it was boiling but we had so much fun and then we went on the safari the next day and we went down the, the river yeah. we, i mean it was just so cool we we're on the nile and we're, we're seeing all these hippos like coming up mm -hmm. to us and they're all over it was just so much fun and the elephant that we were like oh is he gonna charge us it's really close <laughs> didn't you meet somebody on the boat <laughs> that you knew you totally did. You met somebody from Texas. I remember this. Yes, it was my cousin. It was 
So it was so funny. Well, I told her my cousin, it's actually my cousin's cousin on the other side, whatever. Anyway, we're going in the safari thing in the middle of it, absolute nowhere. And she comes across and passes me going the other direction. We're like, Hey, <laughs> yes. I remember that. Cause then we got on that boat with them. Cause there was these other people yes. that like weren't with our group necessarily, like they weren't with us in our little, little private safari. They were like doing a bigger safari. And I remember being on that boat and like you were taught, I was, I was like, of course we You're meet like, somebody that we happening? know in like Western Uganda in the middle of nowhere. Alicia. Yeah, it was Alicia. And I'm like, yeah, I literally know one person who lives here in that. Yeah. We, we yeah. about that. <laughs> she runs Terra Nova in Kampala. She's a great, she's a great person. Yes. Uganda and has these three beautiful girls. Yeah. It was hilarious. So yeah, I mean, you, we really couldn't make this story up, but it all really did happen. It really <laughs> did. Lizards. She, Betty still talks about the lizards with the long legs and they were running and chasing. Yeah, they were great. It was, yeah. it was bizarre. <laughs> it was so much fun though. And our kids do remember that. Hey, but tell what you said, and this is good for people to hear as well. I will never forget what you said to me about my kids because our kids were, I mean, you guys, when you say you adopted an older child, she was, was she four? Was Hope four? Three. Yeah. Three and a half, three years, okay, nine months. And, when she came home. and you probably consider, and a lot of people consider that kind of an older child. And here our kids were definitely, they were eight and nine. And you got, I remember you saying, do you remember this? No. Okay. <laughs> so I'll remind you, but you said, wow, this is good for me to see your kids because a lot of people would be really fearful of adopting children who were eight and nine years old. And our kids did not act eight and nine in so many ways. And they needed a family just as much as these little ones. Yeah. And I remember yeah. you telling me that on that trip, how it was good for you to see how our kids, you know, behaved and were sweet and all those kind of, I think, Sometimes we get this idea, well, bigger kids are going to be so difficult because not saying that we didn't have difficulties and they're not perfect by any stretch, but they're just kids. And I remember. Yeah. You yeah. saying that. Yeah, thing. I do. I do remember. Mm -hmm. Like, I remember having those kind of watching and, them and thinking, thinking well, that. and watching our kids interact together was so good and so much. I mean, we needed like the community between us as parents and being with, oh. like, I remember that trip just being a time of so much refreshment because oh. Hope had like James and Betty and James and Betty had Hope and they could be kids and like we could talk and we like. We could actually have a conversation. I was dying <sighs> at that point. My support system was gone and I, y'all were really, the Lord just put you in my life. And I can't even tell you, I haven't told you enough how thankful I am that you guys said, yeah, come with me. I mean, it wouldn't have been the same trip without that. And that was, it was medicine for me. Yeah, it was great. I mean, it was great. I remember just talking about our family. Like we learned about each other's families in that. I mean, we had eight hours in that van there. <laughs> I mean, I remember, I mean, just like we just talked and the kids, they watch, we still talk, we still tell Hope. Hope that's the first time you saw the Lion King. Oh, we, 
I don't know how many times we've watched The Lion King, but we did watch it at least twice on the way and twice on the way back on my laptop. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. We were, and then she would see you. Told she would see, yeah, she yeah. Would, we saw warthogs then, you know, and they would just start yelling, Pumba, Pumba. And they had no idea what the. Still, I'm not kidding. <laughs> Hope has lived in our house because they're, she would yell out the window, Pumba. And our kids. <laughs> <laughs> It's so sad that Hope doesn't like remember a bunch of that. Like I know our kids do. Oh no, they can tell her. They I know that's what I said because I couldn't remember exactly how old James and Betty were, and so I was like, I bet James and Betty remember all of that. Like really do. I mean, they were like you know younger than you are right now. You know, but um, so yeah, that was such a sweet, such a sweet. Um, I prayed for it, and I just think. You know, God, it's funny how everybody always says this, like you God's not going to give you more than you can handle. Well, he does. He takes you way beyond what you can handle. He, you know, people say that, oh no, he'll, he'll pay, take you past that. And I was past it at that point. I really was. I thought, Lord, you know that I am at the end. I can't, I, I consider myself a pretty strong person. And at that point I was really just, strung out and exhausted and felt inadequate in every sense of the word. But I feel like the Lord gave us that time together. And I'm so thankful. It was just a few days. It was three days Uh (laughs) or four days, I guess. Uh And it just was such a blessing, but it also, like you say, it solidified some things for our kids that they really needed at the time. And I needed to be in the country as long as I was for them to transition because they were older. They needed, you know, more time, but I just, yeah, I just think how the Lord just blessed that. And it was so precious. It was, it was was precious. So if you were to give somebody some advice starting, what would you say if they're starting their process? We've talked about it some already, but I think finding community who have done it before and who can give you advice, who can tell you, no, this is hard. Like, you're not wrong. This is really hard, and it's going to be hard, but also, like, it's doable. You can do it. I think you need to have that. And, and then again, like, we, we loved working with our agency, and they were able to have our back in some situations where we didn't know what to do, and they, they just really advocated not only for us, but for hope and for, quite frankly, just a, a healthy mm-hmm. adoption system in Uganda as well. And so um, we really valued working with them. Mm. Yeah, I think, I mean, and this maybe is going to be one of your next questions, but I think one of the biggest pieces of advice is we ran into some things after we got home. And so that's kind of really when our hard started. And I say that because I know that there are people maybe who are going to be listening who are in process and being in process and waiting and so many things. I mean, that's a whole nother kind of hard. And so I I don't say this to be dismissive in any way of that, because that definitely has its challenges and its struggles. And that's a, that's a very unique time. But then I think even as much as reading and education as we had done, which had been required of us by our agency. And then of course we had talked to a lot of people. I think that still, we were maybe just a little bit unprepared. You just want to think, of course, when you get home that everything's going to be like rainbows and butterflies and it just isn't or it wasn't for us in certain situations. And so just going in with your eyes wide open and then knowing when you get home, where are my resources? 
and accessing them sooner. I think one of the things that we regret is that we probably didn't access some of our resources as soon as we should have. We thought that things were just going to get better. Mm-hmm. And so it wasn't until we were probably home, like what, three years-ish or so maybe, that we just finally were like, we need to do something about this. And so reached out and got some family therapy through an adoption support grant that is in our state. And we had some in-home therapy and that really made all the difference, I think, for us. And our struggles were mostly just bonding, I think, really. We had older children. Your, you know, older biological children were you know, kind of out of your house already. And, but we, you know, we're bringing hope into our family and we had to like, our kids had to, to make a, to... yeah, had to figure out how to be siblings. And so that presented some unique challenges. And then just even my ability to connect with her and her ability to connect with me. She didn't have been as much for Ken, um, but she had primarily been her in relationship from you know, a birth mother. And so I was just surprised in my own feelings of how I related to her and how I had missed out on, you know, holding her as an infant and things that are like very natural when you build connection and those things with your kids. And so I had a lot of things to learn too. And so I think we would say it's okay if when you get home, it's not rainbows and butterflies know who your resources are and access those quickly. I think looking back, we know everything happens for a reason, but we wish we would have probably reached out a lot sooner than we did. Yeah. Now that's really good advice because I interviewed a couple, well, they just came out last week. It's episode 16, but Brian and Laura Chaffin, and they lived in Uganda for 18 months because you have to live there at least a year now to adopt it was interesting to listen to the different process because it does help the kids transition a little bit better when they are coming from a different country. And as Americans, we want to do things, you know, quickly or whatever, but I see the advantage of both sides of that. But I also, I'm so thankful you're saying what you're saying because no matter the age of your child, because you would think like a little one who's three like they're going to bond with you because they're little and they'll just come in. And and I think we have these expectations because we've got these other kids that were like, okay, this is how I've always done things with them. So this is going to be the same. And it's probably not going to be the same at all. Yeah. Yeah. And I think with, in our situation, obviously, you know, we, we know that the Lord is sovereign and that he works all things according to his purposes. But also I think what I had to realize you know, I, I don't think in our deepest desires, we wanted to come into this with like a rescuing mentality or a savior complex or anything. Yeah. But I think what we had to realize is that even though this child is in our family, the way that she's in our family is not the design of how families are supposed to work. Right. And, and she is bringing in through no fault of her own loss and trauma and loss of community and culture and all the things that she's used to, many of which we will never know and she will never know, but the hard things that she had to go through. And we weren't equipped to know how to give her words to express what she was feeling. We weren't equipped to honestly sometimes react compassionately to how those actions were coming out because she couldn't verbalize it. And so, you know, we had to do a lot of growing on our own in order to be able to 
like stop and say one of the things, and I, I tell my students this at Union and, and our, our student leaders as we talk things, but one of the most valuable things that I feel like we learned throughout that in-home therapy process was the value of being with somebody when they're hurting rather than trying to fix it or dismiss it. Because it's really easy for me to dismiss other people's things if I don't think they're a big deal, like just get over it. Come on, this isn't a big deal. But that value of just sitting with somebody who's having a hard time and saying, this is hard. I know this is hard. I'm sorry that this is hard. And I love you and I'll be with you when this is hard. And I think that's, you know, when you were talking about how the Lord doesn't give you more than you can handle. I very truly believe he does. But the thing that he does is he says, I'll be with you. I will be with you when you are going through that hard thing and you can trust me. And that was the lesson that we needed to learn as parents for somebody who had experienced trauma and loss and hurt and pain that she didn't know how to process was not necessarily that I'm going to fix it or you just need to get over it, but I'm going to be with you while you're going through this hard. Yeah, because, well, and I say all the time, we take on their pain because uh, adoption only comes through loss of some sort, Mm -hmm. whatever it is, whether, you know, there's been abuse or whatever, but that's normal to them. That's what they've had is that loss. So we have to take it on. We walk through it with them and somehow we help them navigate that. And the other thing is we have to forgive ourselves a lot because we've messed up so many times with our kids and we have to constantly come back and be like, yeah, we totally messed up on that, but we have to forgive ourselves as adoptive parents, as bio parents, all those things. We're going to mess up. You know, we have a perfect father, but our kids don't have perfect parents. <laughs> so, no, yeah. Sorry, guys. You <laughs> thought you were coming to something great. Well, yeah. you got me. So, <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, those are, that's, that's excellent. And asking for help is huge. We do have a good adoptive community that we live in and we're constantly asking each other, especially the first several years. But I see my kids coming into some maturity of being able to talk through some things and it's really taken them a long time because Mm -hmm. as a kid, you don't know why you're extremely upset and you don't know, you can't verbalize that. And sometimes as adults, we can't verbalize it, but just that's good. Helping our kids verbalize and listening. Like you say, Ken, that was really good. So the show's called Adopting It Forward. How have you guys seen God's story and what he's done for us through Hope's adoption story? I think um, what, what comes most clearly to mind is that it was while we were still sinners that Christ died for us. It wasn't because of anything that we were able to do in order to be offered grace through faith. And there's a a song on a Christmas album that that we listened to of uh, basically Bible verses put to song. And it's Galatians 4 that says, When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might become adopted as sons. And because we are sons, God has set the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Mm. So we are no longer slaves, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Mm. And I think that whole piece of that we are now adopted into the family of God through nothing that we have done has just made that a lot more clear. And I don't know if this is a Tennessee law or what it is, but 
we were made aware when we were finalizing our adoption. So we, we became legal guardians in Uganda through that judge's order. And then through finalizing it in Tennessee uh, was when we became actual parents, um, legal, legal parents when, when she was finally adopted. And at least in Tennessee, if you adopt a child, you are at that point, you are legally forbidden from not considering them an heir. Whereas your biological children, you might be able to say, all right, I'm not going to consider them an heir anymore. But when you adopt, at that point, this child is part of your family legally forever. And I think, wow, what great love that the Lord has had for me, because I know how much of a dirtbag I could be, (laughs) you know, and that while I was still a sinner, Mm. God loved me so much that he sent his son so that I could become a part of his family. Mm, And so um, to be able to have that parallel in our lives very clear as our daughter is adopted into our family um, always reminds me of the graciousness of God towards me through his love shown through his son. That's beautiful because yeah, while we were yet sinners, like you were talking about Renee earlier too, sometimes that bonding that we're expecting our kids to be like, oh, they're going to, just come into our family. They're going to become like us. And they do pick up a lot of our similarities, bless them, but they're still going to bring all their stuff. And we take all of our stuff to God and he loves us anyway. And so that's perfect because you turned it right back around on us. How, yeah, our kids are not going to like scrub up good and then come into our homes. No, they're coming in how they are, just like we go to God, how we are not all scrubbed and clean, but you know, as sinners and imperfect and he takes us that way. And he, I don't know how he does it, but he does. And he loves us and he accepts us and he adopts us and we're heirs. I love that. That was perfect because that's how it is in Texas too. I would assume that, I guess it's a national law. I'm not really sure, but Sam actually preached on that in Uganda. And I love that because we're co-heirs with Christ. That's crazy. How? Nothing we did. That's for sure. (laughs) That's great. Well, so hope is like our kids and does not look like Mm. the rest of her family. (laughs) Have you guys, especially in the climate that we've been in for a little bit, has she had some difficulty? Have you guys have some difficulties? Because we, I always say we're kind of wrapped in our adoption story. Other people may, their Mm. kids may kind of look like them or whatever, but our kids are definitely not. So how has that gone? Mm. Yeah, I think um, it's it's always been something that we've tried to have frank conversations with our kids about, and um, obviously with the you know the racial climate over the last five to seven years and all of that, um, especially this year, it's led to more discussions. I think the discussions at this point have been harder for Hope than her life has been, because what what Renee often say is because of our community. Hope kind of gets a pass on some of that because she's known by who her family is and and all of that. And she's in these very specific, like little environments. Mm -hmm. They go to a very small, like private school, Mm -hmm. Christian school. She's in a union community that's loving and then our church community. Mm -hmm. And so some of those types of things. And so, you know, as we talk about Rosa Parks or Martin Luther King Jr. or 
Brianna Taylor and George Floyd and, and all of those, I think she just more feels sad about how people can like think that way. Right. And that's not, that's really hasn't been her experience for the most part. Do you guys get um, looks? Has anybody ever said anything or it's just kind of like, huh, I wonder what that story is. The best story is when they were, when Hope came home, I mean, she was three and a half and Gideon was two and a half. Gabe, I think was in kindergarten. Um, and so I would be out. I wasn't working full time at the time. I'd be out with Hope and Gideon a lot. Well, Gideon, our youngest son, has red hair. He doesn't really look anything like me. Look he looks more opposite. Like right. His dad. <laughs> and so I was pushing the cart out of Sam's, and I had both of them sitting up in the seat of the buggy. And so you know, it's obvious Hope doesn't look like me. And the lady who checks the receipts says, "I'm like pushing." She checks my receipt. I keep walking out the door, and she says, "Oh, isn't that so sweet?" you have two adopted children. Oh. <laughs> I keep pushing my cart. And I was like, what? What does she what mean by she... that? I'm like pushing. And then I just chuckled to myself because I thought, oh, she, she doesn't think the redheaded boy goes with me either. Like, <laughs> and so, um, so we've told that story to the kid, That's to perfect. the kid and Hope and Gideon are actually in the same grade at school. Wow. Um, and so they are 14 months apart. Hope ended up repeating kindergarten and that put them in the same class. And watching their relationship blossom has been, I think, one of the sweetest things of Hope entering our family. And just the Lord's, I think one of the things that I look back on our story and I think, man, there's so many points where I just see the Lord's very specific love and care for me. And Putting Hope and Gideon together as siblings is one of those things because initially, like I said, we thought we were going to adopt and then maybe have a fourth child biologically. Well, okay. The Lord was like, man, nope, going to have, you know, a third biological child and then you're going to adopt. But then we really thought, well, probably our adopted child would be younger than Gideon could be. Nope. Right in between the middle of those. But watching their relationship, so when they first got home, of course, it was hard. Gideon was in diapers. I was having to do a lot of things for him, but Hope wasn't in diapers, but saw me caring for him. He talked early and young and, and often and all the time <laughs> and sang lots of songs. And she was like right at that stage where she was developed. I mean, she had a tribal dialect, knew some Luganda and also Lugandan and also knew some English. I mean, and then we brought her here. She lost like all of her language basically for a little bit and then had to like relearn English. And I can't even, I'm looking back, I, we watch videos and I'm like, oh my goodness. I thought she understood so much more at the time, but it's clear when I watched the videos, she was not understanding us. And I just think of all of those feelings and changes that she was having. But then I think how sweet and kind of the Lord to put her in our family with Gideon, who really like taught her how to, yeah, and talk and sing and together all of those things and she like loves to mother she's always been a nurturer <laughs> she was like that as a three and a half year old caring for babies and stuff the other babies in the orphanage they told us about that has always loved to nurture young children and you so posted, oh my gosh you posted a picture of both of them with their little babies strapped on their backs yes so you're gonna have to send that one to me and i'll put it I'll on send, the website that is i will send that one up on your facebook and I'll yes oh yes yes and so she and he loves to be mothered and has always loved to be mothered. And so she like takes care of him. And somebody just told me last week when they went, walked in school together, she said, I just got to tell you this. I saw your kids, Hope and Gideon walk in the class together and she's very tall. She's almost as tall as me now. And he's kind of short. 
And so very short, tiny kid. And they had their arms around each other. And it's like this really tall, beautiful Ugandan girl and her little brother who's got little red hair. hair, And so I just think it's just so sweet that, of course, the Lord has knit all of our kids' hearts together. And he's done that in different and specific ways. And even with us as her parents and with me and the struggles that I've had in that relationship. And it's just, that's what he does. He makes beauty from ashes. And so just seeing those specific ways that I've been able to look back and see Mm. the Lord clearly, like even in this pain and brokenness has specifically chosen hope to be in our family and to teach us things for, we would have never, I feel like had these conversations with our boys we hopefully would have, but not in the same way as the no, conversations you're not that we've had well, and I in feel the like, last year. Yes. Mm-hmm. And this generation with so much adoption, I feel like is changing this whole generation because you may be hard pressed to find somebody in our kids' generation that doesn't at least know someone who's adopted. There are more and more, it's becoming more and more common. And that generation, I feel like is more and more accepting of kids that are different and they've got, you know, different kinds of friends and they're, you know, I'm just praying that they change the world, that they'll be the ones that really make this beautiful mix of precious looking and acting children to all go together. And that's how it should be. I love it. I told my kids so many times, a generation ago or two, for sure, we wouldn't have been able to bring you into our homes. And here we are. And I'm so thankful to see what God's doing with these kids. Because like you say, your kids, and of course, us as parents, we're changed, but our kids, I love to see what the Lord is doing with our kids, you know, and and their siblings. How has it been for your kids just knowing that they're a little bit further along because they're older? Like what kinds of conversations have you guys had? And if I can, one of the things is somebody asked me one time is about dating. Like what if your kids Mm -hmm. choose to marry someone white or whatever? I was like, well, my son has not dated anyone that I can think of who was black. He has dated, you know, not nothing long-term, but he's a junior in high school and he's dated several different girls and his friends all look different. It's a beautiful mix. And I'm like, they, I feel like they don't really think of themselves. Like I feel like their friends at least and their friend group is a beautiful mix, but we have talked a lot. We've had a lot of discussions because whenever they graduate and they go to college, they're going to have a different perspective, I feel like. Because as you said, Ken, in some ways, being in the families they're in, it gives them a different kind of, people look at them in a different view. It's not okay. It's weird. I don't, you know, but that's facts. And so learning how, like, how is that going to be when we're not around and you're Mm -hmm. yourself on your own? And we talk about those things a lot and we we've had some very frank discussions, but I'm hoping and praying that they'll, I think sometimes they do look at other people too in different ways. I mean, we just have all these, we're wrapped in our skin, you know? So yes, all there, we're all different. We look different. That's awesome. But yes, we've, we've talked a lot about it and I'm proud of them for the way they do handle the different looks of the kids that are, that come into this house. We've got them all, everybody. And it's, it's precious and I'm thankful for it. And I hope they carry that. But yes, we talk about it a lot. Mm-hmm. When we talk about perspective and how you present yourself and most of all that you're a child of the King and don't you forget it. 
no matter what Mm -hmm. you look like and no matter what anybody treats you like, you do not let them treat you any less than you are. And so we talk about that all the time, but you know, you hurt for them and you don't, you want to bubble wrap them for sure. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That would be my favorite thing. Just stay here. It's fine. (laughs) (laughs) Unfortunately, like my second daughter moved to Seattle and these kids are all independent, but yeah, that would be my favorite part if that would happen, but probably not. So, all right, uh, let's, we've been very serious and I appreciate you guys. What is something low key that you make high key? Who's going first? (laughs) All right, I'll go, I'll go first. Um, (laughs) We've had backyard chickens for probably close to 10 years now. Even when we were in the city, we we live out in the country on nine acres now, but um, we've had backyard chickens and, you know, have eaten eggs that are no older than, you know, a week or two for the last 10 years. 10 years. Wow. I should have contacted you guys. We just got chickens for the first time. James really wanted some and yeah, but they are the best eggs ever. They're so good. And I love uh, that James wanted them. <laughs> oh yes. <laughs> <clears throat> but we, uh, the last couple of weeks, our chickens are either not reacting well to the early bedtime. They're losing all their feathers for molting oh, no. or they're just ticked. Um, but they, they have not, <laughs> They have not laid an egg. We've got like 20 hens and they've, we've not gotten an egg. In like three no, years. wait, 20? Yes. yes. Okay, we have three. So okay. yeah, no, we've got, <laughs> yeah. we've got about 20 and a, and a turkey that was supposed to be Thanksgiving dinner, but he just looks so pretty. We kept it. Oh, yeah. Um, I don't want to. It was wanna a big that. white turkey. Yeah. And just like loves him. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Uh, we make eggs high key around here and we, we've had to, we've had to buy store-bought eggs a week ago because we were like, what is happening? Let's go. And and I did have to splurge for like the, the farm fresh, uh, you know, like free range, whatever, because I was like, listen, we can't go back to eating those factory eggs for 99 cents a dozen. I need, we need to have them taste like something. If I'm paying for them, we're going big here. That's yeah. right. Oh. Yes. He never would have done. Ever. <laughs> <laughs> That's <laughs> hilarious. Yeah. And you're like, now, now I can't ever go like, back uh, to cheapos. So well, like, he just always likes to remind me that way, way, way back when, when he was thinking about getting, cause when we lived in the city, we only had started out with like five. He was like, trust me, the eggs are so much better. And I was like, whatever, an egg is an egg. And so he <laughs> bought some fresh eggs from a friend who had backyard chickens and actually made two batches of scrambled eggs, one from store-bought and uh, one from the front. And like I was like, her. Mm-hmm. okay I can get on board with that <laughs> no it's true so, there's so much better I can't believe it they're mm-hmm. so great so what about you Renee my thing is probably uh like when you were talking about before you sparked my memory is probably laundry in the sense that last week we had in our marriage I've always done the laundry I like doing laundry there's a system there's a system no, and like Ken is awesome and he helps with everything he cooks he cleans he does lots of things but I've always kind of been like I got the laundry that's my lane like you know Mm -hmm. (laughs) um and so a couple weeks ago well it's just been a really busy end to the semester for me I had worked at the hospital or something and I'd thrown my scrubs in the washer and he was trying to help me out and gathered up a bunch of bathroom towels that needed to be washed and 
throw them in the washer one evening and I was probably getting home late and then throw them in the dryer. Well, I went a couple days later and took them out of the dryer and I realized I usually don't dry my scrubs because then they shrink and then I can't wear them. No. Um, and so then I said something, I said, Hey, thanks so much. I love it so much that you are helping me with the laundry, but don't dry my scrubs. Don't do it again. Inevitably the one time the same, I know, I know Stan like moved over and my sweater was like this big. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I just bought this. So I mean, you're so sweet. Thank you. But if you do it again, I'll kill you. <laughs> <laughs> the kids were all in the living room and I was like, who? And then he was like, oh, that was me. And so I was like, okay, everybody, thanks so much. I'm so happy. Our kids fold all their own laundry and put it away. And they've done that for a few years and it's great and helpful. But I'm always the sorter and the like run the machine yes, into the dryer. Too. I want so because they dry everything. And you're like, no, all these school dry fit things do not go in the dry. Yeah. No, I'm, yes. I'm with you. Yes. Everybody's doing their own laundry now. They wash their own laundry and everything, but in yes, do not. I, I if it's my load, I'm like, Oh, hmm, I got to get this out. And this yes. Out. I got to get in there quick. <laughs> yes. Yes. So that's probably my low key thing that I make. Yeah, high key. I'm, I'm totally yes. And I'm sure a lot of people can relate to that. Well, I really appreciate you guys doing this. It's so good to see you. And I love you guys so much. I love what you're doing. Your ministry, your willingness to say yes to this precious girl and how, you know, I love to hear how she's all in your family now and y'all are all this, the dynamics. And But thank you most of all for taking me on safari in my time. <laughs> oh. <laughs> it's such a good memory. It is it such is. a good memory. It's just the best and it's so precious and it's precious to our kids. So I thank you guys. Thanks for coming on and I'm glad we can finally get it together. Yes. yes. Thanks for thank inviting you. us. Yep. Thanks for inviting us. Okay. I apologize guys. I was listening to this episode to kind of write my wrap up. And I got a little carried away talking about the safari. <laughs> Sorry, I don't know if I thought I was like talking to my brother and sister or something when I was telling this story. We always get really loud and laugh hysterically when we start telling stories. So maybe I made you laugh a little bit too, a little chuckle there. <laughs> I just, I don't know, I really enjoyed that trip, could you tell? Ken and Renee inspired me with their kindness and their wisdom. And it's true that we feel like we need to clean up our lives to be loved by God. He loves us where we are unconditionally. I am so thankful for that. What an opportunity parenting gives us to love and accept our kids unconditionally and meet them wherever they are. When I'm weak, he is strong. Thanks, you guys, for listening again. And... We'll be back again next week with another great episode. So until then, let's all keep adopting it forward. Thank you so much for listening. Can you do me a huge favor? If you're enjoying the adoption stories, please subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts. That way you won't miss an episode which drops every Wednesday. It would also really help if you could leave a positive review. Five stars if you've got them.
Do you or someone you know have an adoption story to tell? Please reach out to me on Facebook, Instagram, or through our website at largeentrywilliams.org. You can also find our show notes there. Today's show was edited by Will Rice. The whole thing was put together by my favorite guy, Stan. The website, largeentrywilliams.org, is managed by Leslie Serrano. Unconditional love and occasional mischief provided by Golden Doodles, Gus, and Coach. Thanks again for listening. Let's encourage each other as we are adopting it forward.